Thanks for taking time and worshiping with us today. You can be seated. We're going to dive into God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to get there in a few moments. But before we, we get uh, into God's Word today, just a, a quick reminder. Man, I am so excited. Next Sunday is the launch day for our life group semester. And so, yeah, that's awesome. We got uh, 12 or 13 groups uh, that are starting um, some of the, some of them are, are already going, like Celebrate Recovery and, and uh, some of the group options that have already been meeting. But we've got a bunch of groups that are going to be starting next week. And so I just want to encourage you, how many last-minute procrastinators we got out there? Just be honest. You know, I know that there's a lot of you because I am that person sometimes. But I, <coughs> I just want to encourage you. Um, if you've been waiting and you've been thinking and you've been um, talking maybe with your spouse or your friend about joining a group, uh, man, take that, take that jump. Jump in a group this week. Get online. Sign up. Uh, as we plan this week and we're planning on, you know, what rooms everybody's going to be in based on the group sizes, it would really help us to know uh, that you're coming. And so jump in a group. And um, I really believe that, that this is a crucial step in your walk with Christ. It's really hard to grow spiritually when you're not connected relationally. And so you could check out the group options online at, at mosaicsincentinity.com. We have some handouts if you like paper on the info center in the lobby, but sign up for a group uh, this week. Also, as we're doing the message today, um, if you grab a connect card from the seat back pocket in front of you, um, there, there's a lot of good things on here that, that can help you interact uh, here at Mosaic Church. On the back, there's a, a place for prayer requests. And so if something's just heavy in your heart, I highly encourage you, uh, write down that prayer request. If it's confidential, just check that box at the bottom. But we'd love to hold you up in prayer this week and, 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 and just support you in your time of need. Um, and then on the other side, um, if you sign up for anything and you're, you already come to Mosaic, you don't need to put all the information. Just put your name and, and your sign up for this or for that. If you're new with this, man, we'd be so honored if you fill that out and so that we can connect with you throughout the week. But this is a great way for you to connect here at Mosaic. All right, you guys ready to dive into God's word? All right, let's turn up those lights so we can see our Bibles and uh, so we can read our notes. And uh, let's jump in today. Uh, we are in week three of the God Help Us Unite series. And man, I've so enjoyed talking about how Christ brings us together. Christ brings us together, not an opinion, not an ideology, not some random set of cultural uh, values. Christ is what brings us together. It is the common denominator in the church. It is the thing that never changes, that never wavers. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we talk about uniting, it's Christ that brings us together. And then last night, or last week, we talked about mission-driven relationships and how the mission brings us together. When we do our lives with Christ together and as a church and when we're on mission with him, life is so much better. It's so much fun to do life with those you love and with those that have the same heartbeat, right? And so we talked about that last week. If you missed either of those two mess messages, I encourage you to check, uh, check them out online and catch up. But today we're talking about legacy-driven relationships, legacy-driven relationships. What is a legacy-driven relationship? It's a relationship that is not just based in the here and now, but in the big picture. 
but it's based in the fact that God's story is bigger than your story or my story, that God's story and how we're interconnected is something that is more than just our life. It's more than just what's going to be said about us personally at our funeral, that you are a part of something bigger. You know, in my ministry career, you know, I have the privilege of being in full-time vocational ministry, and it is a privilege. It's an honor. I love it so much. I could never see myself doing anything else. Um, Man, God put a call on my life at a very young age, and I'm so incredibly blessed to be living out that calling. But I wouldn't be here today talking to you, being able to share God's word for you, if if it weren't for people that had a legacy mindset. You see, I stand here today on the shoulders of so many that have gone before me and have paved the way for me to be in ministry. Early in my ministry career, uh, when I got out of college and I started ministering, man, it was all about what I could do. You know, it was about me learning to preach. It was about me learning to lead worship. It was about me, you know, just being with students and hanging out with them and talking to them about God. And really what consumed my heart and what consumed my mind was what I was going to do next, right? And it was the ministry that I was actually <coughs> partaking in. And, and so it was all about, man, I, got, I need to work on this and I need to do this and I need to do that. Well, after... I don't know, 15 years of ministry. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I was a missionary working with students in uh, Southeastern Europe in the country of Bulgaria. A lot of people don't even know where Bulgaria is. It's it's over by Greece and Turkey, just so you know. But Southeastern Europe, and so I had amazing experiences. And and man, it was about learning the language and, and doing this. And when I was a youth pastor, it was about spending time with students and helping them grow up in their faith and preaching and all this kind of stuff. But then I came to a place in my ministry where what was best for the church and where I really felt like God leading me and my pastor came and talked to me and we're like, what, what? And we were growing. The church was just, just, just blowing up and, and we were literally in a cornfield. We called it the miracle in the cornfield because we went from this church of about 300 people to a church of well over a thousand people uh, in, in a short period of time. And, and so we're like, man, this is blown up. This is God's blessing. God is doing amazing things. And so we began to t- talk, Joe, what's, what's God have, has for you at, at our church was called Harvest Chapel. And my pastor, Wes, he's my brother. He's my best friend. And, and, and it's like, you know, I was doing a great job as youth pastor doing, you know, those gifts. But it was like, man, what does God have for Joe in the future of this church? And we both came to this conclusion that it was time for me to move from uh, an area of just that hands-on ministry all the time to a place where I was developing leaders and I was, I was pouring myself into others and I was making sure that, that, man, it didn't stop with us, right? Because obviously I'm not at Harvest Chapel anymore. I'm here at Mosaic Church with you and man, I'm loving every minute of it. And to do that, though, I had to replace myself. I had to invest in people, and I had to reproduce leaders. And I had to have a legacy mindset that it's not just about what I can do. It's about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is bigger than my own personal ministry. It's bigger than just my talents or my abilities. It's about something. There's a bigger story, right? There's a bigger story. And so I went from doing the ministry to investing in people who were doing the ministry, right? 
And so we had a young staff and I was pouring into them and I was helping them and coaching them and hours and hours of conversations and coaching and all that. And, and here was the shift. My legacy became their accomplishments, right? Because little by little over time, it wasn't like, Joe, you're doing an amazing job. The, be- the best thing that I could hear was that, hey, so-and-so is doing an amazing job. And I just got to sit back and be like, yes, they are. They're amazing. They're amazing. Look how great they're doing. Look how they're just, they're, they're expanding their influence and their skills are growing and they're getting closer to Jesus and they're becoming more effective in the kingdom. And it didn't matter if people knew that I was coaching them or leading them or not. Who cares? My biggest win as a pastor is when you succeed. My biggest win as a pastor is when you grow. My biggest win as a pastor, like the Bible says, is, is, and we talked about last week, is when you mature into the full standard of Christ, right? Legacy-driven relationships. And just like I stand on the shoulders of great men and women who have come before me and paved the way for me to be who God has called me to be, someday, God willing, you and every single person in this room will find their lane, their spot, their ministry, their sweet spot in the kingdom where they take their step to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before them and they pave the way for others. What's the motivation behind your relationships? So easy for me and for all of us, it's so easy for us to fall into a place where really our selfish motives or selfish ambition is the, is the focal point of our relationships. How does this flesh out? You know, if, if we're in, in life with our kids, man, I've, I've coached uh, youth sports for a lot of years. Man, since my kids were little, I was coaching their teams, whether it was soccer or baseball, or uh, I even helped out with some basketball teams. It was like, I was just always engaged. And one thing that I saw was that sometimes parents live vicariously through their kids. Have you ever seen that? Right, that little Johnny really doesn't care about the sport, but dad sure wants them to be incredible, right? And so the parents live vicariously through their kids and it's really not about the kids at that point. It's really about mom or dad and what mom and dad wants them to be and the unfair expectations that they put on them. And so it could be that or Is your relationship with your kids one where you're leading them to love Jesus? You're setting them up to win. You're helping them learn to be fully fully functioning followers of Christ on their own when they get out of your house. One approach is self-centered. The other approach is legacy-driven. What about your relationship with your spouse? Is it about, you know, so so many times we make our relationship with our spouse about about what we get from them. Or... The legacy-driven approach would be about serving them and propping them up. The Bible uses this, uses this analogy of like washing them with the water of the word. I think that's so cool that I'm going to love my wife and lay down my life for her like Christ did the church and, and I'm going to wash her with the water of the word. It's not about me. It's about being Jesus to them, right? So we can either wash them with the water of the word or we can wash them with the waters of our own selfishness. One is self-serving, one is legacy-driven. Legacy-driven relationship with your spouse would be like, what can we accomplish for the kingdom together? Or are we just building our own kingdom? 
What about in your relationships with your friends? A selfish side would be, you know, competition. Man, I've had friends before that it was just always a competition. What we had, what we accomplished, what we did, how we looked. And even though you're friends, it always feels like you're trying to one-up each other. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Why? Because we're searching for this feeling of acceptance, right? We're searching for just this feeling of being better. The legacy side of friendship would be I'm adding value to my friends. I'm serving my friends. I'm mentoring my friends. I'm, I'm leading my friends to look more Jesus, more like Jesus. I'm, I'm iron sharpening iron and, and being in a relationship that actually helps my friend get better. And I'm looking like Jesus so that when my friend looks at me, they're encouraged to be like him. What about in our work lives, right? A selfish, you know, selfishly driven work life would be, man, I'm, I'm working for my status. I'm wanting to get ahead. I'm, I'm just driven by ambition to succeed. A legacy-driven mindset at work would say, I'm, I'm here to make a difference. I'm, I'm not just here for the paycheck, although a paycheck is a pretty good uh, benefit, right? It's nice to get a paycheck. You know, I feel like we, I'm totally, totally rabbit trailing now, but we live in a day where, uh, you know, we kind of feel entitled to a paycheck. But hey, that paycheck's a bonus, right? We work for it. We're not entitled to it. We've got to actually put the time in to get it. But sometimes it's like, we get to that place where the work has to be more than the paycheck. It's got to be more than just cashing the check and having the weekend, right? It's got to be more than just getting ahead. And a legacy-driven mindset at work says that, yes, my job, I need to accomplish my job. I need to be good at my job because how I do my job reflects on Christ. But what if it's more than that? What if it's about setting a good example for people and helping people get ahead and helping people you know, succeed, helping people meet Jesus. See, a legacy-driven mindset in any area of your life is going to be so much different than just living for yourself. And as we pray this prayer, God, help us unite, I think having the big picture in mind and having the right drivers behind our relationships matters so much. I love what Stephen Covey says in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He, said, he poses this question that I think is such a great starting point. What are people going to say about you when you're gone? What do I want people to say about me at my funeral in the end? Here's what I know, just a hint. They're not going to talk about how good your kids were at sports. Maybe if you're Tom Brady's parents, but by and large, they're not going to talk about that. They're not going to talk about how much money you made. They're not going to talk about what you think they're going to talk about. The private conversations in the funeral home at your visitation, what are those people going to talk about? Not the, not the crafted, prepared statements that they get up and they read and everybody's so touched. What are people going to talk about you, say about you? When you're gone. I love the quote by Maya Angelou. It says, people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did. But they'll never forget how you made them feel. Right? 
And we know as Christ followers, it's more than that. It's more than just making people feel good. It's more than just, you know, always having those, those, those um, butterflies in the stomach, like that, that ushy-gushy relational feeling. It's more than that. It's getting before Jesus at the end and hearing that, well done, right? And so think about that. When you breathe your last breath, when you're not at your funeral, but other people are, what's going to be said about you? That's your legacy, we're going to talk about an incredible example of this in 1 Samuel 18 today. And our example is going to be the relationship between David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. David had just come on the scene. He had just got done defeating Goliath. Maybe you've heard that story where David, little old shepherd boy, slays the giant Goliath with nothing but a stone and a sling. And so David was between 16 and 18 years old at this point. And so he wasn't even old enough to be considered a fighting man yet, which usually happened when, uh, when a man became about 20 years old. So he's still young. He's too young to invite to the fight. But he went anyway. His, his father, Jesse, sent him to the fight with some food for his brothers. And, and he gets there and, and he's like, I'll fight Goliath, right? And so check out the story in 1 Samuel. But then we get to chapter 18, and we see that David and Jonathan meet. Jonathan is the son of King Saul, right? Jonathan's the son of King Saul. And so here's the contrast. David, he's a shepherd boy from the field. David didn't even get invited to the tryout party when when the prophet came to anoint the new king. Jesse, David's dad, just left David in the field and brought all of his other sons before the prophet. And the prophet was like, no, not any of these. Bring in your son from the field, the one shepherding. And so David comes in and he's anointed as the next king of Israel, even while there was still a king in place, King Saul. And so you just hear this, the, the complications in the relationship where there's a, a current sitting king, King Saul, There's David, the young, newly anointed, in secret king of Israel, who wasn't even old enough to be a fighting man. And then we have Jonathan, King Saul's son. In our world and in our minds, and if you're selfishly driven, David is a threat to Jonathan. David is a threat to Jonathan's future. Jonathan is the prince He is the next king. He is the one that is going to take Saul's place someday. But we see something incredibly different. Now, David and Jonathan had some similarities. They were both incredibly courageous. They were both incredibly brave. And they both wanted to honor God. Jonathan had already been brave in battle. He had displayed great faith in the Lord in, in chapter 14 of, of 1 Samuel. You can read a little bit about what some things that Jonathan did. He was already a commander of the army. He had already won two significant victories. And so you've got this kind of older seasoned soldier. And then you have this young man, David. Both had accomplished already some great things. But there should have been some tension between them. There should have been, you know how guys sometimes bow up and they're like, you know, when another kind of tough guy uh, walks in the room, the other guy just kind of, he just kind of like 
his chest goes out a little bit. You ladies are laughing because you see it. You guys are like, I don't do that. And, you're like, and the ladies are like, yes, you do. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like when somebody else comes in the room that might be a little threatening to you, you're just kind of like, you just stand a little taller. Your shoulders get a little bit more square. I'm a little guy, so I, I know how to do that really well. Just try to make myself look bigger. So there should have been this tension between them, but there wasn't. And so check this out in 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4. It says, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Man, as you read through 1 Samuel, this is easy to gloss over. It's easy to be like, oh, these guys are friends. But you cannot miss the significance of what just happened. When Jonathan takes off his robe and he puts it on David. He's taking off his princely robe and he's putting it on David, basically acknowledging, I'm going to take off my selfish ambition. I'm going to take off my future. I'm going to recognize that this life is about more than just me. I'm going to recognize that I'm not the only guy in the kingdom. And God has you as the future leader of the kingdom. Can you imagine the guts that it took to do that? To basically say, hey, I'm gonna forego all my rights and all the perks and all the stuff that goes along with, you know, someday getting to be king. I'm gonna take that off and I'm gonna give it to this young guy that just got here. Legacy-driven mindset. How selfless was that for Jonathan to prop up God's anointed because he was humble, because he knew that it wasn't just about him. Humility, the foundation of relationships. Listen, Jonathan's title didn't determine his legacy. And this is something we all need to get. Our title doesn't determine our legacy. I love what Clay Scroggins, he's a pastor down in Georgia. He says, you don't have to be in charge to take charge of leading yourself. You don't have to be in charge to take charge of leading yourself. I love that. And Jonathan got this. You know, he could have been in charge one day, but he's like, I'm not going to let what other people say about me. I'm not going to even let my position in my family. I'm not going to let what I've been offered, what I know is rightfully mine, keep me from doing the right thing. He had the title. He had the status. He had the position, and he knew that it wasn't enough. Have you ever been there? It's like the thing you fought for, the thing that you strived for, the job, the money, the paycheck, the house, the car, the reputation, the status. You finally get it and you're like, seriously, this is it? Is this all there is to life? Jonathan obviously had already seen a little bit further down the road and he's like, you know what? There's nothing more important than pleasing God. On the converse, his father Saul was like the other end of the spectrum. Saul was jealous. He was full of rage. He was full of envy. He attempted murder twice. He tried to kill David, and then he even tried to kill Jonathan because Jonathan supported David. 
He blatantly disobeyed God. He made excuses all the time for his failures. He, lo- he literally lost his mind. He fell into the trap of self. He worried about what other people thought of him. How many of you know when you envy how others look, you always feel unattractive? When you envy other people's success, you always feel like a loser. When you envy other people's possessions, nothing you have is ever good enough and you're blinded to the blessings that you have. When you envy other people's perfect life, you can't even see the possibility of having a better life. When you compare and you compete, you live in defeat. And obviously Saul was comparing all over the place. He was so worried about David you know, being the one that was going to take the throne. He was definitely in that place where he was on the defense and he was fighting for himself, his own status. There wasn't a hint of legacy-driven mindset in Saul's life. Saul was a defeated person in every way that mattered most. And when you're defeated and you're full of self, horrible things come out of you. How many of you know you can have it all and still be a mess? Saul had it all. He had the stuff. He had the leadership. He could do what he wanted when he wanted. He had everything that any of us in this world materially could ever want. And yet he had nothing at the same time. And so Jonathan and David are buddies Saul sees that Jonathan is in support of David. Saul sees that Jonathan is willingly letting go of the throne and giving it to David in the future. And it made Saul so mad that he lost his mind because he was so threatened. And when you're threatened and when you're like this caged animal and when it's all about you and you're going to fight for your own no matter what, horrible things come out of you. And so we see this in 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 through 31. Now, this, this, the language here, in, even in, in God's word, is kind of graphic. But this is the kind of thing that comes out of a person when they're so driven by self. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore. He swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go out and get him so I can kill him. Man, you can't have two more polar opposite examples of legacy-driven mindset and selfishly-driven mindset. And the question is, as we pray this prayer, God help us unite, which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be so consumed by self that you'll fight at any cost? You'll say whatever you have to say to anyone, even the people closest to you in life, to get yours? Listen, Jonathan could have let these harsh words from his father derail him from God's plan for his life, but he didn't. But sometimes we do this, right? Maybe your father or somebody important to you in life said words like this to you. And maybe you've carried the effect of those words with you throughout your whole life. 
Have you been there where somebody said something and it just stuck? It's stuck and you're carrying that label, you're carrying that hurt, you're carrying that pain with you to this day. And as much as you've tried to put that behind you, man, if you really get honest with yourself, these are the words that still echo in your mind in the quiet of the night when you lay your head on the pillow and you hear words like this that somebody said to you. If you want to be a legacy-driven person, if you want to unite with God's family, then this kind of language has no place in your relationships, in your life, in your heart, in your self-talk, how you talk about yourself or how you talk about other people. But Jonathan, he heard these words and in spite of this kind of persecution from his own father, he still did the right thing. He supported David, he fought for David, he showed up for David. And what was shame on earth for Jonathan was glory in heaven. Isn't that a great thought that even though I undergo shame on earth, sometimes in, in the name of, of, you know, serving Jesus, man, I can have glory in heaven because God's going to say, well done. And Jonathan got this. He understood this principle. David had some similar experiences, right? I told you earlier, he wasn't even called to the tryout when, when Jesse lined up all the sons before the prophet. He could have been like, look, nobody sees me. Nobody cares about me. David was mocked when he showed up to the battle by Saul. He was like, you're just a boy. We all have a choice. Will we carry the narratives people speak over us or will we carry God's narrative in our life? If you want to be a legacy-driven person, this is your first step, that I'm going to carry your narrative on my life, God. I'm going to know that your story is bigger than my story. Listen, Jonathan's devotion to God was greater than his devotion to himself. David's was the same. That was the most important common bond that these two guys had, right? It wasn't just that they were courageous or brave. It was that they both wanted to please God more than anything. That's why Jonathan was able to take off the robe and put it on David because he wanted to put a smile on God's face. This is what bonded them together. Not fame, not self-promotion. They wanted to honor God. Jonathan decided to not be defined by his family's history. He was going to be defined by what God wanted him to do. And he had legacy-driven relationships. So how does this play out in your life? First thing that you can do personally, if you want to be a legacy-driven person like Jonathan, lift others up with your words. Do it more than you can imagine, more often than you think you know, is, is sufficient. Do it like seven times more. Just lift people up with your words. We all have a choice. Are we going to tear down? Or are we going to build up? We all have this tendency towards selfishness. Yes, even you. James 3, 9 through 11 says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What does that tell me? That I need to have one language in my life and it's building others up. It's encouragement. It's speaking the truth in love. Man, different, the difference that encouragement can make is just too large to quantify. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up 
just as in fact you are doing. In Proverbs, it says the tongue can bring death or life and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I love that. The tongue can bring death or life and those who love to talk can, will reap the consequences. In Ephesians 4.29, write that one down and check on that one later. It says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words be beautiful gifts that encourage others. Proverbs 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And then in Proverbs 16, 24, it says, kind words, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. We just need to get better at this. Kind words all the time, freely given because we freely received them. We've got to do it more. Before David took down Goliath, he encouraged himself first. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and for the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. You see, before he was able to encourage others, he had to be able to encourage himself. And so you could do this this week. The first person you could start with is you, lifting yourself up with your words and then try it on somebody else. You could maybe even start with your spouse. They might enjoy it. Then you can move on to your kids. And then you could say something nice to your boss. Then you could say something nice to the jerk at work. You can find something nice about them and lift them up with your words. And when you do this, you're beginning to be a legacy-driven person. Number two, we need to raise other people up with our actions, not just our words. Can you imagine if Jonathan would have stopped with the words? Instead, he acted on it. He actually showed up when David needed it most. When Saul was legitimately trying to kill David, uh, Jonathan showed up and was like, hey, we're going to do this plan. And, and when, when this happens, I'm going to do this. And, and you can read the story. But he actually showed up with action. He didn't just say, man, bud, that really stinks. I'm going to pray for you. No, he showed up. He showed up in his life. James 3.13. 3.13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. Love that. Can you imagine if Jonathan had only used words? David might have been dead before he had a chance to live out what God called him to. But because Jonathan used action, David stayed alive. How about this? Number three, we need to give up so others can go up. And this is probably the toughest part because speaking words of encouragement into other people's lives, you know, you do it often enough and it becomes easy and it's like enjoyable. Man, I love this. Man, showing up and doing things for people, the action that comes with this, you know, that is also kind of addicting, like serving people. But literally giving up your place so somebody else can win, that's probably the hardest part of it giving up so that others can go up. Mark 10, 43 through 44 says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. So Jesus is basically telling his disciples, if you want to go up, you got to go down. You've got to give up to go up. I love this. Listen, at some point in your life, if you want to be a person of a legacy, you're going to have to choose between your pride and your purpose. 
you're going to have to choose between your pride and the purpose that God has given you. So much of the time, we want to pick our purpose. We want to pick what's going to happen in our life. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. But God looks at you with kind of that fatherly smile on his face. You know, the, the smile that dads give when they're like, I know better than you, right? Dads, you give that, that look to your kids all the time. You're like, yeah, you're trying, little one, but hey, let me show you how it's really done. Yeah, God looks at us with that look, and he's like, you know what? My purpose is better. But for you to live out my purpose for your life, you're going to have to lay down your pride. That's the first thing you give up so that you can go up. And you give it up so that others can go up. Your pride puts the spotlight on you, but your purpose puts the spotlight on others. Pride and purpose are incompatible in God's kingdom. You can't have both. And so if you're somebody that you're living and you're just like, man, I can't find my purpose. I just feel like life is meaningless. It could be because your pride is getting in the way of your purpose. And ask yourself for real, would you be willing to give up like Jonathan did so that somebody else could go up? Would you, be able to, would you be willing to give up your position, your status, your wealth, your talents, whatever God would ask of you so that somebody else could get ahead? Now listen, I, I talked in the beginning about the big picture. <clears throat> and this is something to understand about this story uh, when you look at all of scripture, okay? If you open up your Bible to Matthew, it will give the lineage of, of Christ, Right? They call it the genealogy. And it happens a couple times in the gospels, basically tracing the ancestors of Jesus all the way back to King David. To who? King David. So you think about that. Jonathan had to give up his spot so that not just David could go up, but that the lineage and the prophecies about Christ would be fulfilled. And if those prophecies had not been fulfilled and if Jesus had not had come, just like was foretold in the Old Testament, your salvation and mine hung in the balance. For Jesus to come and to pave the way to the cross all the way since David, Jonathan had to give up his seat. You and I, if we want to be legacy-minded people, we've got to give up so others can go up. We've got to be kingdom-minded. We've got to say, hey, you before me, whatever God wants, if God wants you in the driver's seat instead of me, I've got to give it up. Big picture. It's his story. So effectively, man, you think about it, and this is powerful, Jonathan was giving up to make way for Christ. Love this. We do that with our lives, with our choices every day. How you lead your family, how you help other people get ahead, how you help other people live out their, 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 their calling. Man, our life group leaders that are gonna start next week, they're giving up so other people can go up. They're giving up their time, their energy, they're serving so that other people can meet Jesus. It's huge. Listen, there isn't room in your life for the purposes of Christ and your purposes and your, your pride and your dreams and your ambitions. 
And this is probably one of the, the, the hardest things that I struggled with as a teenager trying to figure out God's call for my life that I had to lay down my wants and follow God wherever he led me, wherever he wanted me to go and praying that prayer that just kind of rips your heart out. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll pay any cost, no matter what, to follow you. And I don't think God just asks that of preachers. I think God asks every single one of us, are you willing to give up so that someone else can go up, right? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. We're gonna close. What if we all did this? What kind of church would we have? What kind of church would this be if we were an army of people that were speaking life and being encouraging, not only with our words, but with our actions? What if we had a whole army of people giving up so that others could go up? Who would be able to find their place because you gave up yours? Who would be able to find their purpose because you were so committed to Christ's purposes for your life? Man, I really believe that there's people here today that some significant changes need to happen in your life when it comes to what's driving your life. Is it selfishness or legacy? Man, some of you have kids at home and their legacy is hinging on your choices. Some of you have great jobs with incredible positions of influence and the people around you and their direction and their trajectory in life is dependent on your choices. Are you gonna be a legacy-minded believer ready to give up so someone else can go up? Or are you gonna be blinded by your pride and selfishness? Man, as I preach this to you, I'm preaching it to myself as well because it's a constant battle. You know, Jesus led the way when he gave up his throne in glory, when he gave up his spot in heaven next to the Father and he came down to a broken world and he lived a sinless life and he underwent everything that you undergo and he was mocked and he was beaten and he took the lowest place so that you and I could have a relationship with Jesus, right? If you're here today and, and you say, Joe, I wanna, I wanna accept what Jesus did for me. I wanna acknowledge that Jesus came down from heaven, died for me on the cross. He rose again on the third day. I wanna give my life to Christ today. If that's you, I just wanna give you opportunity to do that. Um, and would you just acknowledge that that's you by raising your hand? Not for me, but for, for, this is just a physical thing you're doing to say, God, that's me, amen. And right there in your seat, you can just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I give you everything, my dreams, my ambitions, my next steps, it's all for you. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you say, Joe, I just need to work on this. I need to work on uh, being a legacy-minded person, lifting people up, both my, my words and actions and giving up my spot so others can go up. And in, do, in so doing, I wanna model what Christ did for me. If that's you, as I just pray a closing prayer, if you could raise your hand with me and say, God, that's me. 
Jesus, I want to give up so others can go up. Just like you gave up for me, just like you went to the cross and you laid everything down so that I could have a relationship with you. Man, I give up. I give up my rights. I give up my pride. I give up my direction. I give up my dreams. I give up whatever I need to give up so that you can maximize my life so that you can use my life for your glory, for your honor, for your fame, for your renown. Jesus, I give it all up because it's worth it for you to get more glory, for you to be on the throne of my life, to put a smile on your face, God. It's all for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to stand with me today, we're going to have a prayer team up front. If you need prayer for anything, I just want to encourage you to come get prayer. Um, they, they would love to pray with you. Also, uh, sign up for a life group, Mosaic 201. If you remember a couple weeks ago, it was canceled because of the snow. We're going to have it this Wednesday night uh, right here in this room. And so everybody that was signed up, I still got you signed up for this time. And if you want to go online and sign up for the new date, um, that's available as well. You could also sign up in your Connect card. Just write it in, you know, Class 201 there at the bottom and drop it in the bucket on the way, on the way out. Also, our all-church um, meeting uh, members, it's our annual members meeting, but everyone's invited, even if you're not a member and you're just like, hey, I'm curious about how this church works behind the scenes. You can come. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, we don't have any super serious business happening this time. Uh, just one one small thing that's exciting. And so just come and um, just come and, and be at the, the Momentum Celebratory Annual Members Meeting um, on March 7th. And then also, if you'd like to give today, if you'd like to put God first in your finances, worship God with your giving, um, you could do so on the way out. The guys are back there with the buckets, or you can go online at any time through the Mosaic app, the website, um, or you can text to give even. Um, and so all of, that, all of those ways are explained on our website at mosaiccincinnati.com if you'd like to check that out. And I just want to say as your pastor, thank you so much for your generosity in supporting the work of Christ here at Mosaic Church. Uh, thanks for being here, man. We had a powerful time of worship today. Uh, you, and guess what? The worship doesn't have to stop now. It doesn't have to stop now. When you walk out the door, you walk with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the major the benefit of Christ dying on the cross, raising again from the dead, the Holy Spirit gets to live in you. And so you get to walk out with the Holy Spirit. You get to be led by him every single day of your life, every moment of the day, as you talk to your kids at lunch, as you put them down tonight, as you go to work tomorrow, God's with you. And so live like it. Live like he's with you, leading you, guiding you every moment. Be blessed. I'm so thankful for you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on up front. And uh, we'll see you soon. You're dismissed.